Good morning. It is good to see you. This is the day that we remember the most important event in the history of the world. And you would think that when we're talking about so, something so unique and central and epic in the entire history of the world that maybe we would want to do something totally out of the ordinary to celebrate that. And that is not what we're doing today. We're doing what we do every single Sunday because that's the way that Jesus has taught us to celebrate his resurrection. We celebrate his resurrection every Sunday through worship and prayer and the study of his word together. And I think that possibly today as we read this resurrection story out of Luke 24, and if you want to be turning there in your Bible or on your apps, it's going to be on the screen. It's in your worship guides too. Um, maybe you'll see one more reason why we do this every single week and why we would do this today and why we see, think that it's so appropriate to study the Bible this way and that this would be the appropriate way to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. So I'm hoping that, that we'll see that together. What we're going to do right now is we're going to pray together and we're going to ask God to speak to us by his spirit from his word, that this would be a time of spiritual work that only he can do, that it's not just going to be me saying a few things and you hearing a few things on a human level. It's certainly not just going to be a ritual and routine and observation of this kind of special Sunday where families get together and they show up more than usual and, and go through the rituals of what we do in the South on Easter Sunday. That's not the goal today but that we would encounter God in his word, that we would see Jesus more clearly for who he is than we've ever seen him in our entire lives, and that we really would come to his word this morning with this belief that he is alive, and that his spirit, he has sent his spirit who lives in his followers, and he has things to say to us today as his people from his word. And so we're going to pray that. I'm going to read Luke 24. And we're going to ask a primary question. If, if you aren't here typically with us, we do things maybe a little bit differently than what you would expect. We're going to ask, what does this teach about God? And I'm going to ask you to be listening for that as we read this section. And then we're going to let people speak up and say, hey, here's the things that God is saying to us this morning. That his word is living and active and his spirit is speaking to us and Jesus is alive and he has things to say. So what's this teach us about God? We'll talk about some of those truths. And then if that's true about God... What's God saying to us right now, to us individually, to our hearts, to our lives, to us as a church? And then we'll pray again and ask God to be working in our hearts in that way, and we'll close with some more worship, thanking God uh, for the resurrection and for everything that it means and for Jesus and his gospel. So that's where we're headed. If you want to pray with me right now, I would really appreciate that. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time right now. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his perfect life, for his sacrificial death in our place, and for his powerful resurrection by your spirit to declare him to be the son of God in power forever. And we ask right now, Father, as we read this account of Jesus' resurrection, that your spirit will teach us from your word as only you can. Open us up to the truth of your word and open the truth of your word up to us so that we will see you and know you more clearly. Stir up the type of faith in us for we would truly trust Jesus and follow him and know and believe who he is. Father, we ask you to do a spiritual work in our hearts that only you can do. We are desperate for you to do what only you can do. And we ask it in hope because Jesus is alive. Because every promise that you have made, you fulfill in Jesus. Because you've already done the biggest thing and the greatest thing and the hardest thing, we ask for everything else in his name right now. And so it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, Luke 24, if you would like to read along. What's this teach us about God? On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, <laughs> we didn't make it very far, but I'm going to say one thing right here real quickly. 
<laughs> and then we'll make it through the rest of it. So this is what happened to me during the night. This was on my mind. I knew we were going to be in this passage. And I wake up a lot during the night anyway. But I woke up at 12.02 was the first time I woke up. And I woke up and I was like, it's Easter. And then I thought, he was probably still in the grave right now. Um, and so I, I laid and I prayed for a minute. I fell back asleep. And then I woke up and it was about 3. And I was like, it's getting closer. Um, and I went back to sleep, and I woke up, and it was 4.47. And I was like, it's really close now. And I went back to sleep, and I woke up, and it was 5.30, and it was starting to get just a little bit light outside. And I thought, he was probably up by now. Um, it's just the way that my, that my night was. I just kept waking up thinking about, like, I mean, this is the moment, like, when everything happens. Um, and it's just like God, that humanly speaking, there's no there's no pomp. There's no pageantry. There's not a single human person there when Jesus sits up and comes out of death and back to life. Like, God does it secretly and behind the scenes at first. And I, I just I imagined this morning, can, what would that moment have been like in the spiritual realms? You know, with human eyes, nobody even knows yet. But can you imagine the angels looking down on that moment and knowing that he has done it, that, that they see the power and the wisdom of God in a way that they've never seen it before. Like what did that song sound like in the heavenly realms? It was like, he's done it, he's done it. Glory to God in the highest. Um, and so anyway, I got up this morning when the sun came up and took a long walk outside and was just thinking through that and praying through that. And I was just... I cannot imagine that this moment right here. But as we read, I hope that God will help us imagine it in a certain way that he'll speak to us. We're going to make it this time. All right, here we go. We'll, we'll start back at the beginning. That was a really fast interruption. No more interruptions till the end. You all go first. Here we go. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked among them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? <laughs> what things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. 
And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. All right, what does that teach us about God? And if you will, if you'll point us to the verses that, that you're looking at with the truth, I'll scroll to them so we can see what you're seeing and where you're seeing it. And I will try my best to give you some time to go first because some of you know how it is when I start talking and we want to hear from you first. So what's that teach us about God? God opens our eyes. We see this a few times, but do you want to point us to whichever one you're looking at? Which verse? 45 is the one you were looking at. Jesus here. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. God opens our eyes to truth. God opens our eyes to the Bible. God opens our eyes to understand what he's teaching us. And specifically here, when Jesus says, this is what I told you while I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. In the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, Moses, prophets, Psalms, that covers the whole Old Testament. At that point, that's the whole Bible. Like The New Testament hasn't been written yet. Jesus has just been resurrected. The stories that we're reading right now are going to be written about this a few years later. And so Jesus says, the whole Bible, let me open up your mind to understand that it's about me. That's what he's saying there. So God opens our eyes to understand the truth of who Jesus is. 
God opens our eyes to truth, to the Bible, to understand what he's teaching us, to understand the truth of who Jesus is. And I was going to say this later, but we'll just jump in and say it right here. This is what I was talking about just a few minutes ago when I said we're going to do the same thing today we do every single week, and I hope you'll see why. Because this is like the first encounter that Jesus has with any of his followers after the resurrection. And what does he do after the resurrection? He takes the Bible and he says, let me show you how the whole thing's about me. Let's look at Moses and see that it's about me. Let's look at the prophets and see that it's about me. Let's look at the Psalms and see that it's about me. And so what better way for us when we gather on the first day of the week, the reason we gather on the first day of the week, Sunday, and not the Sabbath anymore, Saturday, is because Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week. So every time we gather on a Sunday, we're already acknowledging the resurrection. And then especially on Easter Sunday, what better way to acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus than to say, we'll get together in the name of Jesus and do the very same thing Jesus did when he was resurrected. That we will look at the Bible together and wherever we are in the Bible, we'll say, this must be about Jesus because that's what Jesus said when he was resurrected. So let's ask, what's this teach about God? What does this show us about who God is? How is God revealing himself in Jesus in this section of Scripture? So great place to start here. God opens our eyes to truth. God opens our eyes to the Bible. God opens our eyes to understand what he's teaching us. God opens our eyes to understand the truth of who Jesus is. That's also why we pray the way that we prayed right before we started. Because there is a spiritual work that has to happen right here that none of us can do. That we are dependent on God to open our eyes. Because I want you to think about the, the flow there. Jesus talks to him on the road for a long time. And I promise you, Jesus is a better teacher than anybody who's ever stood up here. Like he's certainly a better teacher than the guy standing up here today. Like they've got the best teacher in the world, and they don't understand until the spiritual work happens where he opens their minds so they can understand the Scriptures. And so we come every Sunday and we say, God, we need something to happen that we can't do. And we're dependent on you to do it, and we trust you to do it, and we're asking you to do it. I am asking God to do this in your mind, in your heart, with your eyes this morning that he would open them spiritually, that you will really see who Jesus is. What other things stand out to you? Truths about God, who he is, how he works, what he does, anywhere in this chapter. Jesus continues to provide proof and reassurance Throughout our doubts. Chris, you want to show us what you, I know there's lots, but it'll help me get to them faster. I'll mark 36 since you mentioned it. This was another thing that I actually made a note of, and so we'll just... It really encourages me when everything you all say is stuff that I thought God was saying to me this week. And it's like, yeah, that, that's what he's saying out of this. So Chris points us here. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So here's this like overwhelming evidence. And then if we just kept going right here, I mean, I'm going to back up in just a second and we'll just walk through the whole chapter and see it all. But he shows up and they still don't believe, right? startled, frightened, must be a ghost. Like, there's no chance the guy's alive, so it must be a ghost. So he says, why are you troubled? Why, why doubts? And here, more proof and reassurance. Look at my hands and feet, look. Like, this is my body. Like, this, this is where the nails went. That's what he's showing them right there. It's I myself, and if any of you are Greek scholars, you can check me on this later, but I'm 99.9% sure that if we did a literal translation of this phrase, what he actually says there is, it is I am. You know, that divine name when God reveals himself to Moses from the very first time in the Old Testament, Yahweh, I am, right here. Look at my hands and feet, it is I am. And here's the proof that I'm who I told you. I am, I am God the Son. I am one with the Father. Um, he said, I, I am. Touch me and see. Like more proof, more reassurance. This can't, I've got flesh and bones. And then 
They still aren't sure. So he says, here, fine. You got anything to eat? <laughs> Ghosts don't eat. Give me a piece of fish and I'll show you. Like, watch me eat this. Finally. He took it, ate in their presence. And then here's the part that really, like, when you realize he's doing all this, it would have been one thing, like, if he just showed up out of the blue and they weren't expecting it at all or shouldn't have been expecting it at all. But in 44, he circles back around. He's like, hey, I told you I was going to do this. (laughs) This is what I told you while I was still with you. You should have known if you believed me. And so, yeah, this whole thing is them doubting, them not believing, and Jesus showing up anyway, coming back to them anyway. Like, it's not the strength of their faith or the strength of their character or how good or how righteous they are. It's how gracious Jesus is and how loving Jesus is and how patient Jesus is that he comes back to his doubting, unbelieving disciples, and he's like, I'm just going to keep pursuing you until you finally believe. I'm going to keep showing you who I am. And so, you know, if we wanted to expand on what Chris said there, that, that Jesus continues to provide proof and reassurance throughout our doubts, Jesus is super patient with us. Jesus is faithful even when we have almost no faith at all. Jesus is gracious to people who are very slow to believe him. Anytime you read a story in the Bible, what's this teach about God? Super, super important. Like, foundational first thing. Probably second best thing you can do, like, once you're seeing who God is, second best thing you can do, find the worst character in the story and realize that's you. (laughs) Right? Like, do you know how slow I am to believe Jesus? Do you know how many times he has told me things and I still doubt? Do you know how many times he has to say, I've already told you that. Here, I'll tell you again. I've already told you. I'll tell you again. I'll remind you again. I've already shown you this. I've already done this. Like, I am them and you are them. Like, I got promise. <laughs> and if you don't see that yet, that's one of the ways God needs to open your eyes this morning so that you will see that. But the thing is, it's okay to be them. It's okay that you struggle that way. It's okay that you are this slow spiritually because Jesus loves people like that. Jesus comes after people like that. Jesus is patient with people like that. Jesus keeps speaking to people like that. Jesus keeps revealing himself to people like that. And so just watch. Watch how bad it really is. And think, think about how many times in our life this is us. Not about this specific situation, but just in general. And I'm going to try to find as many as I can. So the women show up, and first of all, the tomb's empty. I mean, that's a good start, right? So Jesus isn't there. That's a piece of evidence. But then these angels show up, which, you know, when the angels show up, there's a second piece of God's probably doing something right now. But then specifically, the angels tell him just flat out, he's not here, he's risen, which pretty big clue what's going on. But then, this is the kicker, remember how he told you while he was still with you? And then it's not some like generic general thing. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified. So what's happened in the past three days? The Son of Man got handed over to the hands of sinners, he was crucified, and then he told them in advance, on the third day, be raised again. Now, you would think, that they'd all be on the edge of their seats on day three, right? Like, we've watched this man work miracles for three years. And we've watched this man do all sorts of things that nobody's ever done. We've watched him raise the dead. <laughs> Lazarus, Jairus' daughter, like, multiple times he's raised the dead. And then he told us, 
He told us, I'm going to be crucified and raised again on the third day. Do you know the level of unbelief here? (laughs) And I promise you it's you and it's me. Like how many how many days of your life, how many days of my life, how many moments of your life do we functionally live like Jesus hasn't been resurrected? Like how often do we live like this is just a normal natural world? And we do what we do like the rest of the world. And it, or think of it this way. If Jesus hasn't been resurrected, how often do you live in a way that you would live the exact same way if he hadn't been resurrected? That nothing's different. Nothing's changed. Because functionally, so often we don't believe it. Like the weak faith that we see here and that we might criticize them for, this is you and me. And it's why it's such a great word of hope to us when we see that Jesus is patient with them and gracious to them and loves them and keeps coming after them. So then, verse 8, then they remembered his words. They remembered, yeah, that is what he told us. So now they go back and they tell the 11, which, you know, like, these are like supposedly the superheroes, right? The apostles that were with him all the time that he handpicked, minus Judas. The 12 are down to 11 now. So they go back and tell them they don't believe the women. So Jesus told them before he died. The angels have shown up and said it. Now the women come back and tell them. So Peter runs to the tomb. He sees what happened. <laughs> Peter, those of you that know the teaching team, Lou, raise your hand, Lou. Lou says all the time that he's Peter, and I'll just tell you, he is Peter. Like He's right about this. <laughs> I'm sprinting to the tomb before everybody, but then went away wondering to himself what had happened. What do you think has happened? Like... <laughs> What he told you, and what the angels told you, what the women told you, like, that's what's happened. But anyway, now Jesus shows up with the two on the way. He tells them everything. Like, the resurrected Jesus himself tells them everything. And so then they come, if I can get to it, it takes a little while here, after Jesus' encounter with them, which there's good stuff in it too. They returned at once to Jerusalem. They find the eleven again, and they say, it's true, the Lord has risen, has appeared to Simon. They say what happened while they're still talking. Now Jesus himself shows up. So you've got Jesus told you before he died. Everything, everything the man has ever said has happened. And he told you this was going to happen. And on the third day, his body's not there. And the angels tell the women. And the women tell the disciples. And Peter sees the empty tomb. And then Jesus appears to two of them. And Jesus tells them everything about himself from the entire Old Testament. He's like, you should have known this had to happen. The whole Bible, God has been telling you this for 2,000 years that it had to happen this way. And then he opens their eyes and they realize it's him. They come and tell the 11. And now Jesus himself shows up with them. (laughs) They were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. They still don't believe. This is, I mean, (laughs) this is insane. (laughs) And this is you and me. This is you and me. Like, how many of you, honestly, this is going to be a little personal, like this is not probably what people recommend when you got a lot of people visiting or something. And listen, Carol and Keith said it, we're really, really glad you're here. But I'm going to ask this question. Like, how many of you, if you were honest about why you came today, you would say, I came because Jesus is alive and that's the most important thing that's ever happened in the world, the most important thing that's ever happened in my life. Yeah, you can raise your hand if you want to. How many of us think we would really have to say, well, I came because it's Easter and it's a cultural thing that you do around here on Easter. Or I came because it's Sunday and this is my routine on Sundays. Or I came because somebody in my family really wanted me to come today, so I came with them. Or, you know, I came because, well, it just, it seems like that's what everybody else does on Easter and I figured I would too and I didn't want to make any waves. Like, how many of us have a reason for coming today? Like, if we're honest in the depths of our hearts, and it's something other than because I believe the resurrection of Jesus is the most important thing that's happened in the history of the world, and it's the most important thing that's happened in my life. Like, a, a lot of us come today in a way where we're saying, I believe in the resurrection about as much as the apostles did right here. Like, this is us. And... and like, it looks like what it looks like. We read it with them and we're like, my word, how do they not get it? My word, how do we not get it? 
How do we not see who he is? How does that not change who we are? How does that not stir up the type of faith inside of us that changes our life? And then when God starts to prick your heart a little bit with that, and you're just like, yeah, that's who I am. That's who I am. I just want to come back and tell you again, that's who Jesus loves. That's who Jesus comes after. That's who Jesus appears to again and again and again. That's who Jesus says, hey, I told you, and I told you, and I told you, and I told you, and I know you still don't get it, and no, I'm not done with you. I'll tell you again. I'll show you again. You need more proof. Here's more proof. This is how much I love you. This is how patient I am with you. This is how much grace I have for you. This is how much I want you to get it. This is how much I want you to know who I am. And that's what he's saying to you again. He's like, if I need to use cultural traditions so you'll hear this one more time, hear it one more time. If I need to use the pressure of somebody in your family so you'll hear it one more time, hear it one more time. If I need to use your ritual and your routine on Sunday morning so you'll hear it one more time, hear it one more time. Hear who Jesus is one more time. Jesus is the most important person who's ever walked on the face of the earth. Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Chosen One of God. Jesus is the one who died for your sins and mine that we could be forgiven. And Jesus is the one who was resurrected on the third day so that God could fulfill all of his promises to his people. So that God could adopt you as his child and make you one with him through faith in Jesus because he's removed your sins in Jesus. And he hung him on the cross and he buried him in the grave. And when Jesus came back to life, that stuff didn't come back with him. Like when you trust Jesus and you're connected to Jesus, that is the grace and the love that God gives to you. That's the forgiveness that he gives to you. And that's what we get to right down here when he says, this is what had to happen. This is Jesus talking, the Messiah, which is the word for Christ. It means chosen one, anointed one, the one that God chose as his one, will suffer He will rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. This is why we're here today. Because God promised this over and over and over through the entire Old Testament and Jesus showed up and he made it all true. Jesus, let's just recap them, continues to provide proof and reassurance throughout our doubts. Jesus is super patient with us. Jesus is faithful even when we have almost no faith at all. Jesus is gracious to people who are very slow to believe in him. A couple more that you want to add? Verse 8. Then they remembered his words. Do you see how crucial knowing what Jesus has said and then remembering what Jesus said is to your faith? Again, that's why we do this. That's why we would remind each other every single week. They heard him say it for three years. They walked everywhere with him on earth, heard him say it for three years. It's been three days, and they need to be reminded again. Verse 34. It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. So now they come and remind the eleven. Like what Jesus said is true. Like that, and, and now he is using them to remind others of the truth. Ken, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but knowing Jesus' words can permeate our hearts and minds, and give us boldness, is what you said, wasn't it? And give us boldness to speak about him. And if you, are, if you aren't here regularly, it's always this sloppy. Like if you're wondering, like is that just an Easter thing now? Um, Unfortunately. One down here? Yeah. Um, Jesus wants us to run to him Jesus wants us to run to him. And not away from him. 
37 to 38. Yeah. So they're startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? And if we just grab the end of 36 right before, he's already said, here's what I want for you. Here's what I'm offering to you as the resurrected king of the world. Peace. I want to give you peace. Don't be afraid and run away. Don't run away in fear. Come to me in faith. And whatever it would be for you this morning, whatever you're afraid of that you think Jesus would reject, whatever you think is too bad in your past, or that you, whatever your reason is to be afraid of Jesus, he comes and he says, peace. He comes and he says, I want you to run to me, not away from me. Whatever it is you're afraid of having to give up, whatever it is you're afraid of losing, whatever it is, whatever fear it is, whether you even recognize it as a fear or not, that keeps you from turning to Jesus, I want you to know He's better than that. He's worth that. His grace is bigger than that. His love for you is greater than that. He doesn't come after you to destroy you. He comes after you to rescue you. He doesn't come after you to scare you to death. He comes after you to give you peace. Peace with God peace in your heart that you can only get from him. Relationship with God where things are made right. Where you can be close to him. Where you can know him. Where you can realize just how much he knows you and just how much he loves you. The one who has all the power in the universe. The one who demonstrated how much power he has by conquering death itself. Death could not hold him. He is stronger than death, and he is back alive. He has all the power in the universe to do whatever he wants. And he shows up with all of his power, and he says, I'll use my power to give you peace. He's for you. He wants good for you. He wants you to find your greatest good in him. But you've got to see him that way. You've got to believe him. You've got to believe who he is. He keeps saying... To them. Like you, this is me. I am. You've got to know who I am. You've got to know who Jesus is. One more. Mm. God demonstrates. Shoot, we could sit. We could sit here all day. We won't. Some of you get nervous. I'll let you get to Easter lunch. God, God demonstrates his grace by going after those who even have denied him. Hmm. Simon is Simon Peter. He's the only one of the 12 that gets singled out here by name. Jesus, Jesus comes back to him, appears to him. He's also the one of the 12 who has the most spectacularly public failure right before Jesus is crucified. They all abandon him. They all run away like cowards and hide. But Peter, as he follows along, ends up in this place where three times he's given the chance to say, do you follow him? Are you his disciple? Do you know him? And three times, like publicly, intentionally, he denies Jesus. I don't know him. I don't know this man. Stop asking me this question. I don't know him. Faithless Peter. And Jesus is faithful to Peter. Like out of all the ones that you might think, well, yeah, maybe Jesus will show up for James and John and Andrew and Matthew, but Peter, he, he's not going to get any special treatment. If anything, Peter's getting something rough here. And it's the other way around. The one who has the most spectacular failure is the one who gets singled out in the story. And I know Jesus, Jesus intentionally went to him. 
Jesus intentionally comes after him. Jesus shows grace to him because this is what Jesus came for. Jesus came for your failures. Jesus came for all the ways you've gotten it wrong. Jesus came for, for every single way that you haven't lived up to what Jesus deserves. Jesus came for that. He said, I'm not dealing with you based on what you deserve. Like he is dealing with you based on who he is. He's dealing with you based on his love. He's dealing with you based on his grace. And so, yeah, God demonstrates his grace by going after those who even have denied him. And as we wrap up here, there's, I, I made a couple of notes that we've covered them a lot already, but I just really thought it was worth pointing out. In verse 32, after he's appeared to those two, and then he disappears and he says, were, they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And then when we get on down to verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. You know, that Jesus opens the truth of the Bible to us that was verse 32. And Jesus opens us to the truth of the Bible. It's one of the reasons why most weeks I pray that section in my prayer where I say, will you open us up to the truth of your word and open the truth of your word up to us? Like This is what Jesus did from the day he was resurrected. This is what we need Jesus to do right now. And then when he does that, I know we've covered this part, but when he does that, they see who he is. That's what they see. They see, they, he shows them that the whole Bible is about him. Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, like everything in Scripture concerning him. And I know there's a lot of great sermons and great teaching times in the Bible, but I'll tell you, if I ever got answered, asked this question, some kind of like trivia thing, what's the one sermon in history you wish you could hear? I wish I could hear that. <laughs> Wherever it says right here. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, verse 27, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I would love to hear Jesus start at the beginning and be like, Moses, I know Moses wrote this 1,500 years ago. Let me tell you what it says concerning me and then just walk through the whole Testament and unlock every one of those pieces, I would really like to hear whatever they got to hear on the road that day. But the point of this, Jesus opens the truth of the Bible to us, and Jesus opens us to the truth of the Bible to show us who he is. This is what you need. This is what I need. This is why we're here this morning. Every time we open up the Bible, this is the point that you would see Jesus more, that you would know Jesus more, that you would see Jesus right now, that you would know Jesus right now, that you would know there is no one like Jesus. The whole thing's about him. <laughs> There's nobody else who can say that. The whole thing's about him, and he proved it when he was raised from the dead. And here's what the whole thing says about him. He summarizes. We don't get the whole the sermon that I wish I could hear. We don't get the whole thing written down. But he gives us this summary. And here's the last truth that I want you to see about Jesus today before we worship. He told them, this is what's written. And just so you know, again, it's the law of Moses, prophets, Psalms, like he's doing the whole Testament here. He opened their minds so they could understand the Scripture. So he's saying, here, understand the whole thing. Everything God says in the Bible, here's the summary of it. This is what is written. The Messiah, that's him, will suffer. Truth about Jesus for you right here. Jesus suffered for you. I don't know what you're going through in your life. I don't know what the hardest thing is that you face. But I can tell you this, whatever pain it is, whatever suffering it is, Jesus has been there for you already. Jesus is with you now. And Jesus has gone farther than he will ever ask you to go. He knows and he is with you. He loves you enough that he has suffered for you and you are not alone in it right now. 
Jesus suffered for you. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead. To rise from the dead means this had to happen first. Jesus died for you. Not just suffering. Suffering to the point of death. The darkest, blackest place he could go, he went for you. He went, and the reason I say for you, we'll get there in just a second, rise from the dead, Jesus was resurrected in power. He conquered death. But look, for something specific, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. Suffered for you, died for you, raised from the dead so that this message could be delivered to you, declared to you. And there's a couple pieces to the message. First of all, sins right here. Jesus knows you're a sinner. It's not a surprise to him. He suffered, died, and was resurrected because he knew that you needed this message. Jesus knows you're a sinner. Jesus knows the worst things about you. And how did he respond? He loved you so much that he died for you so that you can be forgiven. Jesus loves you anyway. Jesus knows you're a sinner. Jesus knows the worst things about you. And Jesus loves you anyway. Jesus offers forgiveness for your sins. That's his piece of it. Suffered, died, resurrected for forgiveness of your sins. Here's your piece of it. Jesus calls you to repent. Jesus doesn't call you to fix it. Jesus doesn't call you to do a better job and prove that you're worth it. Jesus doesn't call you to get your act together and maybe you'll be good enough and you'll deserve to be one of his followers. Jesus calls you to repent, which just says, I've been running away from you. I've been going this way and I'm far, far away. And you're calling out to me in love and forgiveness and I'm going to turn and come back to you. That's what repentance is. I'm going to admit that you're right. I'm going to agree that I'm a sinner and that everything about my sin is what you say that it is. And I'm just going to come and I'm going to tell you I've been wrong and I'm sorry and I need your help and I need you to change me. That's what repentance is. Repentance is saying, I've messed it up so bad, I can never fix it. But you've done everything to fix it, and I believe you instead of me. I trust you instead of me. I give it all to you because I can't take it, and I can't handle it, and I can't fix it. And you can. I believe what you say. Jesus knows you're a sinner. Jesus knows the worst things about you. Jesus loves you anyway. So Jesus offers forgiveness for your sins and Jesus calls you to repent. And just in case you think, okay, maybe that's Jesus' message for most people, but for whatever reason, not me, this message will be preached in his name to all nations. That means everybody. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your culture is. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter what your sins are. It doesn't matter how you've messed up. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. It doesn't matter what your education level is. All, all, his love is big enough for all. This offer is extended to all. His death is enough to cover the sins of all. Anyone who will believe in his name. It is as wide as you can imagine. 
It is wide enough to include you, no matter who you are, because it's for all. And it is also as narrow as you can imagine, because it's only through Jesus and no one else. Wide enough for everyone who will believe. So narrow there is only one way to get there, and it is Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's what you've got to hear this morning. That's what you've got to know. You have to see who Jesus is. He's everything that God has promised. He's everything that God has ever done. He is God himself come down in the flesh to suffer and die for our sins and then be raised from the dead so that this message of love and forgiveness can be declared forever and that his spirit can come and live in you and change your heart. This is where he ends right here. He says, look, because of what I've done, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. And he's talking about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit being sent. It's what happens 10 days after he ascends up into heaven. It's Acts chapter 1 and 2, if you want to read that later. Luke, we're reading Luke this morning, who wrote Luke, also wrote Acts. It's like Luke part 2. If you just flip over two books in the New Testament, you'll be there. Luke 24 ties into Acts 1 and 2. It's where the story picks back up. God made a promise, and Jesus says, because of what I did, God's keeping his promise. And the promise is, I'm going to send you what my father's promised. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Here is spiritual power to be and do everything Jesus calls you to be and do. Even after you come to follow Jesus, he doesn't say, okay, now that you're following me, get your act together and work real hard for me. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, prove that it was good for me to choose you. He says, look, now that you're following me, the only way you can ever do this is that I give you my power and my spirit for you to do it, and I've promised to. You'll never do this in your own strength. You'll never do this on your own. You will never do this apart from Jesus. But Jesus says, I'll give you what you need. Like This is his ongoing grace to you, his ongoing gift to you. He suffered for you. He died for you. He was raised from the dead to secure this promise for you. For anyone who will repent, for anyone who will call on his name, for anyone who will believe in him to give the very spirit of God himself to come and live in you and change your heart, to change you from the inside out, to give his power to you so that you start to become who he's calling you to be. That's the life he promises you. That's the hope he gives us. And that's where I want to end this morning. When Jesus was walking with the two of them on the road, this has really stood out to me this week. Oh, I did just skip one truth. This is a quick one. This is a good one. I know in some ways what we've just said has been heavy. I think it's been important, heavy, and good heavy. But this did stand out to me. He's walking with them. He asks them what they're talking about. And they're like, are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know? And Jesus right here, what things? Jesus has a sense of humor. I mean, you want to know when you've really conquered death? I'm not kidding right here. I'm not trying to make light of this. Do you want to know when you've really conquered death? When you've been arrested unjustly and they keep you up all night and they beat you with their fists and they whip you and they rip your flesh from your body and they mock you and they spit on you and they press a crown of thorns into your head and they hang you on a cross until you die and they shove a spear in your side and two days later you can joke about it? That's when you know you've conquered death. He's like, yeah, I went through that, but that didn't stick to me. He experienced every single piece of it. And they're like, don't you know what happened? He's like, do I know what happened? I did it. But he's just like, Hmm, what things? Tell me. Like, I love this side of Jesus. Like this, he's so secure and he's so certain. He's not threatened, he's not annoyed, he's not frustrated. It's like he's got this twinkle in his eye, like, man, I got something to tell you in just a few minutes. But go ahead and tell me what you're thinking right now. So they start talking about Jesus. And saying, this is who he was. Like, and they're saying, we believed in him. He was a prophet, and we saw his power, and we know he was from God, but they killed him. Right here, verse 21. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
I think it's the saddest three words in Luke 24. Past tense. We had hoped, but not anymore. When Jesus died, our hope died. Dead hope is such a hard thing. Even when hope dies, hope doesn't stay dead. Because even when Jesus died, Jesus didn't stay dead. Even when hope dies, hope doesn't stay dead because even when Jesus died, Jesus didn't stay dead. They say, we had hoped, but it's done. And what they don't know is it's just about to start. Like he's just about to open their eyes and say, everything you hoped for, that would redeem Israel? Yes. But even more than you dared to hope for. I'm going to redeem the whole world. All nations. I'm going to redeem all nations. I'm going to redeem all of creation. And so again, I don't know exactly where you are this morning. But maybe you're in one of those places where it feels like hope has died when it's just been too hard and too dark and too black and too lonely and too long. And I want you to know hope is not dead because Jesus is not dead. There is living hope for you in this life. I cannot tell you how many things that I've gotten to witness in people's lives where Jesus has resurrected and brought things back to life and Jesus has recreated and given new life and redeemed in this life. There is living hope as long as you are breathing. It's not the end of the story even in this life. And then there is dying hope in Jesus. Because it's not like Jesus is like, okay, I can handle everything in this life, but when death comes, that's too much for me. It's not too much for him. And so maybe there's some things in your life, for all of us, there's going to be, unless Jesus comes back first, there's going to be part of the story where this is the thing that gets me and I die. And Jesus has dying hope for you because death wasn't enough to hold him. And he promises if you're connected to him, death won't be enough to hold you either. So there's living hope and there's dying hope. And then, though, there's resurrected hope. (laughs) And the resurrected hope is better than what they ever dared to hope to begin with. This hope that died for them, when he brought it back to life, he made it even bigger. They thought he was going to show up and make Israel a strong country again. Like, be like David, that kind of king. He's like, no, I'm going to be the king over the whole universe. And I'm going to save the whole world. And I'm not just going to fulfill God's promises to Israel. I'm going to fulfill every promise that God has ever made in the entire history of the world to all people. This resurrected hope is even better than the thing that died in the first place. And that's what he offers you forever and ever and ever full redemption of every single thing in your entire life and full redemption of every single thing that's bigger than your entire life. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus offers. And this resurrected hope, it is important to see, it only comes when hope dies. Something can't be resurrected unless it dies. And that's that call to repentance that Jesus gives you. He calls you to come to himself and die to yourself. Die to your way of doing things. Die to treating your life as if it's your own. And surrender it to him and believe who he is. And find the new life that he creates. The new life that he gives. The resurrection that he brings about. And find how much sweeter that is. Because he brought it out of death. Do you know how much greater it is for them that they get to see the resurrected Jesus? Do you know how much greater that is than if Jesus just stayed alive? This is the most incredible thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. 
He had to die for us to get to see this about him, for us to see this about God. I pray that you will see him that way today, that you will know him that way today, and then that you will start to experience his resurrection power, his life-giving love and grace by his spirit in your life. And so I'm going to pray that for us right now, and then we are going to sing and worship together. Thank you again for being here this morning. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Please, Father, make our hearts burn within us as you speak your truth to us by your spirit. And open our eyes to see Jesus in the truth of your word. And open us up to who Jesus really is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have some pastors, elders, staff, wives down here. If you'd like to talk and pray with somebody, that's what we're down here for during this time. But stand and sing with us.